0: Today is the twelfth Sunday after Pentecost. There is also a feast day today of St. Aegidius in Latin, Giles in English. Therefore, the second oration of the Mass today is that of the feast day of St. Aegidius, and the third oration is that of twelve brother martyrs. Now, the epistle appointed for this, the twelfth Sunday after Pentecost, is taken from the epistle of the 2nd Epistle of St. Paul to the Corinthians, chapter 3, verses 4 to 9. Brethren, such confidence we have through Christ towards God, not that we are sufficient to think anything of ourselves as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also hath made us fit ministers of the New Testament, not in the letter, but in the Spirit, for the letter killeth, and the Spirit quickeneth. Now, if the ministration of death, engraven with letters upon stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which is made void, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather in glory? For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more the ministration of justice aboundeth in glory. Please stand for the Holy Gospel. The gospel is taken from that according to St. Luke, chapter 10, verses 23 to 37. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. At that time Jesus said to his disciples, Blessed are the eyes that see the things which you see. For I say to you that many prophets and kings have desired to see the things that you see, and have not seen them, and to hear the things that you hear and have not heard them. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up, tempting him, and saying, Master, what must I do to possess eternal life? But he said to him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? He answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with thy whole heart and with thy whole soul, and with all thy strength and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said to him, Thou hast answered rightly, this do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said to Jesus, "'And who is my neighbor?' And Jesus answering, said, "'A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, "'and fell among robbers, who also stripped him, "'and having wounded him, went away, leaving him half dead. "'And it chanced that a certain priest went down the same way, "'and seeing him, passed by. "'In like manner also a Levite, when he was near the place, "'and saw him, passed by.' But a certain Samaritan, being on his journey, came near him, and seeing him, was moved with compassion, and going up to him, bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and setting him upon his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day he took out denarii and gave to the host, and said, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou shalt spend over and above, I at my return will repay thee. Which of these three, in thy opinion, was neighbor to him that fell among robbers? But he said, he that showed mercy to him. And Jesus said to him, Go, and do thou in like manner. Thus far the words of today's Holy Gospel. Please be seated here. Master, what must I do to possess everlasting life? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. My dear faithful, just this last week, we received the astonishing, startling news of the death of Gerard Kennedy in New York. Gerard, known to many of us, his children known to probably many more, and I knew Gerard since he was just a, a boy. That news hit us very hard, especially the news of his wife and children being left behind. The suddenness of his death in an accident seems to make it all the more tragic. Gerard had been on the force in New York. He'd been a detective, actually, till retirement, an investigator. And uh, even in, in the days, the closing days of his life, as it turned out, he was keeping the grounds for the church, the chapel, our Lord's presence there in the chapel. He was keeping the grounds beautiful for all of that. He fell when something gave way. Something appeared to be solid, but wasn't, and it gave way. He fell 40 feet. That's the height from the top of the ceiling here in the very center to the floor where you're sitting now. The injuries he suffered were so grave that they couldn't save him. He remained conscious for a short while after impact, and I understand that his last words spoken were the names of Jesus and Mary and Joseph. No one could really prepare themselves for an event like this. It came as quite a shock. His wife was traveling with the children, while he, Gerard, had gone to help his father on a project. And one of the children was as far away as Bulgaria, And it was there in their travels that they received word that their husband and father had died. Father Baumberger was able to anoint him. Thank goodness. But again, everyone seemed to be pretty much in a state of shock, as you can imagine, and I'm sure the family still is. Who could prepare for something like that? How is it possible? Who would have expected anything like this? No one can prepare himself or herself to have something like this happen. And yet there was one person who was prepared. Everyone seems convinced of that. And that one person who was prepared for this was Gerard himself. He was a true Catholic gentleman who lived his faith and hope and charity like the Good Samaritan today. And despite all of the grief that others have expressed and some have expressed to me, no one, no one is expressing the concern that he had not saved his soul just because of our absolute confidence in the love of God for him, but also our very reasonable confidence in his love for God, which he manifested in so many ways throughout so many years. There is a great confidence there, confidence that God does provide and so we pray for his soul. We also pray for his wife and his children that God will console them and comfort them. And, well, comfort is a form of strengthening them, too. We know that when these things happen, God's will is done and more souls will be saved and more souls will have everlasting life as a result of this and the sacrifice and the patience, that this draws forth from the souls of those who love him. But it is a cross, and it is a heavy cross. That is why we are having the second collection today for this dear family. Now, The question, what must I do to possess everlasting life, is the question that Gerard and his wife and children, you and I, every single one of us, should be asking. The the answer to that question means everything to us. In fact, it's the one thing that does matter. What must I do to possess everlasting life? You see, this was the message that our Lord came to give, the hope that he came to provide for us. That is why our Lord says in the gospel, many prophets and kings have desired to see the things that you see. Many prophets and kings have desired to hear the things that you hear. In fact, very shortly after our Lord said those words, they would be illustrated by a king named Herod, who would be delighted that Pilate would send Jesus to him because Herod wanted to see the miracles and wanted to hear these amazing things come from the mouth of this wonder worker from Nazareth. But of course, our Lord did not allow, did not allow Herod to hear or see the wonderful things. Many prophets and kings had desired to see the miracles that our Lord had worked. Many kings would desire to hear the words of everlasting life that our Lord spoke. But our Lord said his disciples, those gathered around him, the simple, ordinary people who came to him as sinners, looking for forgiveness from God, looking for redemption that they are the ones who were privileged to see and hear, to see his miracles, his deeds, and to hear his mighty words of everlasting life. And in the midst of this, one of them, who was a lawyer, stood up to challenge our Lord under the guise of simply asking him an honest question. Gospels, though, says that he, he was there to interrogate our Lord about something And he said, what must I do to possess everlasting life? And so our Lord simply uh, responded to him in a very, very reasonable way. Well, as if to say, you are an attorney, although he didn't say that, as if to say, you're a lawyer, but he didn't say that. Our Lord simply said to him, well, what is written in the law? How do you read there? Now, this... Lawyer suddenly was found himself challenged to know what the law said, and so he reached all the way back to the book of Deuteronomy, the last book of Moses. And he said these words, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with thy whole heart, and with thy whole soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. So the lawyer did not actually start specifying. He did not go down the list of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. And so on. What the lawyer actually did, he was inspired to say by God. Because what this lawyer, what this lawyer spoke was the spirit of the law. He could have gone down the list of laws, but he didn't. He spoke of the great commandment Which is the spirit of the law, all law. Love, love of God, love of God. How often do we hear our Lord say in the Gospels, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, there is the spirit of the law. The individual laws, the commandments, are written in letters, but the spirit, that moves one to keep those laws is, is one of obedience to God that comes from love for him. It's a merely a labor of love to be obedient to God and to keep the commandments. And so this lawyer actually gave the correct answer, and our Lord said that. Our Lord said, you've answered correctly. Do this, love the Lord thy God with thy whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, and thy neighbor as thyself, and thou shalt have everlasting life. But the lawyer was embarrassed as though he'd asked a question when he should have known the answer all along. And so he asked another question, the precision. Well, what does the name ma- me, neighbor mean? And our Lord gave a parable. He talked about a Jewish man who was traveling. He was going down from Jericho, from Jerusalem to Jericho and robbers intercepted him, beat him, left him to die. And then a Jewish priest came by and saw the man half-dead and soon to be dead, and the lawyer simply hurried on his way. A Levite of the Jews also saw one of his fellow Jews lying there dying, but didn't stop to help him, just hurried on his way. These these men did not break any law. There was no law that would charge them with criminal, criminal behavior for hurrying on their way. There was no law saying you must stop and help anyone you find on the way. They might actually have said, Well, I feared the robbers might still be in the area, so fearing for my life, I hurried away. They broke no law, and yet there was something missing. The Samaritan came along after them, and he saw the Jewish man dying. And this Jewish man, he knew, would consider him a Samaritan to be the enemy. In fact, that Jewish man would not have even spoken to the Samaritan if they'd met. Under ordinary circumstances... But the Samaritan was moved with compassion and had mercy on him. There was no law requiring him to stop and help, and yet here the Samaritan was moved by compassion. And so he stopped there in the wilderness, making himself perhaps a target for the robbers. He took the time. He poured his own wine into the wounds as an antiseptic. He poured his own oil into the wounds as a salve, he put the poor, suffering victim over the back of his own mule, and he walked, and he walked, and he walked to Jericho. Then, as if that weren't enough, he delivered him to the hotel, which was actually the hospital at the time, where fallen travelers would be taken care of, and he actually reached into his own pocket, took out his own money, two days' wages denarii, and gave them to the hotel keeper and said, take care of him. When I come back, I'll pay you whatever else I owe you. Now, there was a man who truly had the spirit of the law, and he was a Samaritan. Our Lord himself was the one who exemplified this, because he saw not one fallen Jewish man. He saw the entire human race Attacked by Satan and his fallen angels, he saw the entire human race beaten up by these robberies of souls and left to die and eventually to go to hell. Our Lord saw the entire human race in this condition, and our Lord came down from heaven, and he himself offered himself to rescue us to heal us from the consequences of our sins by forgiving them, by obtaining forgiveness for us, and then also by giving us the grace we need to recover from the damage that they've done, which is what we're doing day by day, hopefully, as we live our lives, actually recovering from the damage caused by sin. Our Lord did this for us, He was willing to pay the entire price, whatever it was. Whatever whatever is necessary, I will pay. Our Lord said that. So he, the good shepherd, is also the great Samaritan in this regard, showing the greatest charity and love for all of us. And all he's doing is telling us to do what he did. He's telling us to follow his example. I have given you an example, our Lord said at the last supper. And so this is what our Lord wants of us. Notice when our Lord was asked by the lawyer, what must I do to have everlasting life? Our Lord didn't say merely, well, just believe in me. Believe that I'm your Savior. Believe I paid the price for you on the cross. That's all I ask of you. That's not what our Lord taught, as some would have us believe today. Rather, our Lord told us it was a matter of love, not just faith, not just hope, but charity. Love for God. And therefore, doing what our Lord himself would want us to do and what he taught us to do by his own example. So, rather than actually answering the man's question, the lawyer's question, who is my neighbor, our Lord wound up with the point, you be that neighbor, you be that neighbor that is described here, who had compassion on those in need, on the fallen ones, So the Church gives us the seven corporal works of mercy. The Church gives us the seven spiritual works of mercy. These are the actions that we must do, that go beyond thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill. These are the things that tell us what we must do in order to be faithful to our Lord. These are the things that show we have the spirit of the law, not just the letter of the law. And if you look at the epistle today, you find, again, in the light of the gospel some things that St. Paul has to say. He says our confidence is towards God, not toward ourselves. So when we see the Samaritan held up as an example of charity, we have to realize that but well, this is not something, supernatural charity that we have by nature, it's something that God has to provide for us. So, so we don't trust ourselves and our own goodness. We trust in God to provide the graces that we need to be charitable, to live a life that is love of God and a life of love for a neighbor. We have to turn to God for this and ask for this grace. Our sufficiency, he says, is from God. And this is what makes us fit ministers of the New Testament, not in the letter of the law, but in the spirit of the law. And then he talks about Moses coming down the mountain with the tablets of the law, the letters of the law engraved on the stone. But St. Paul says that just having the law or knowing the law, by heart, doesn't save you. If you don't have the spirit of the law to fulfill it, to be faithful to it. There's a big difference between studying law and getting an A on your law exams and actually being just and following the law with the spirit of the law, which goes beyond justice even into charity. That is what our Lord demands of us. St. Paul says that when Moses came down the mountain with these laws engraved in the tablets, his face was radiant so that the Hebrews there could not even steadfastly look him in the face. They had to look away. His face was so brilliant. But St. Paul's point is, well, if if this is how glorious it is to have the letters of the law, how much more glorious is it to have the spirit of the law if having the letters of the law written in stone tablets, if that's glorious, how much more so to have the spirit of the law written in your own hearts. There is true glory. There you find the glory of God. There you find faith and hope and charity. There you find life. And there you find what is necessary to have everlasting life. So we remember our Lord's own words now. We take them to heart. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And we love and recognize the saints of God in heaven who loved him enough to be faithful to him. Above all, one who was faithful in every single thing, in every thought, word, and action. And that is one who loved him, even as the lawyer said today. There is one who here on this earth loved him with all of her heart and all of her soul, with all of her strength and with all of her mind, and that is our Blessed Mother, whose feast day we'll be celebrating next Sunday. So we turn to Our Lady and ask "Your Dear Mother of God, and now my Mother in Heaven, please teach me how to love thy son, so that I too may be found faithful. God bless you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.